and welcome to the Filene Fill-In. I'm Holly Fearing with Filene. The Filene Fill-In is the podcast where we fill you in on what's been going on here at Filene's home base and out and about in the financial services world. In many ways, the credit union model in this country was officially defined in 1934 by the Federal Credit Union Act. At the time, credit unions' main focus was around promoting savings and thrift and providing people of modest means access to fair credit to pursue productive investments. While this remains the foundation of the model, the practical definitions of many of the elements affecting financial services and consumers then have fundamentally changed, and many influential factors that did not exist then cannot be ignored within financial conversations today. For that reason, among others, it's necessary to take a fresh look at the driving forces that made way for today's credit unions and refresh our vision of the landscape they are in. With Filene's research director, Taylor Nelms, Stevie Ray wrote the report on that reimagining, taking into account 21st century economic and social norms and technological trends, so credit unions can see how they might seek to transform themselves to stay abreast of consumer needs now and long into the future. Stevie is a postdoctoral researcher in the Department of Anthropology at the University of California, Irvine, and joins our discussion today to share his insights on this research. Also on the show is Sam Paxson, Co-op Financial Services Chief Experience Officer. Co-op is so aligned with Filene's thinking on the importance of staying ahead of changing technological trends and demands that they supported not only our work on this report, but they sponsor our entire research center on emerging technology. Today, we're talking about why this research is so important for credit unions, how co-op is and has been transforming to meet evolving consumer demands, and what actions credit unions should be ready to take going forward to stay ahead of the socioeconomic trends of this century. Thank you both for joining me today. So Stevie, let's get right into it. I want to start with you giving a little bit of background on this research. What is a quote-unquote 21st century credit union, and what led you to do the research to explore this issue? Sure. So uh, I think the best way to describe what a 21st century credit union is, my insight from one of our interlocutors, uh, one of the credit union CIOs who we interviewed, who said that the phrase 21st century credit union already sounds outdated. And indeed, we're almost into the third decade of the 21st century. So to me, A 21st century credit union is one that takes what sets credit unions apart from other financial service providers. And historically, that's been um, the relationship banking model and the focus on member service. That's something we heard again and again when we talked to people throughout our research that, that, you know, this is is credit unions uh, historical strength and something that they should retain. But being able to do that in ways that are increasingly tailored to the needs of even individual members and doing it in a high-tech way, so to speak. I think really the 21st century credit union is one that can offer what we lay out in the report as a a concierge banking model, Mm -hmm. one that affords personalized recommendations, does the work of not just lending, not just being a financial intermediary, but also being an educator, uh, helping with financial planning, helping with wealth management, and is able to leverage uh, automated technologies for good. So being able to automate daily financial tasks more and more so that both the credit union and the credit union member can focus on that fundamental relationship of getting you where you're going and 
you know, really being with you every step of the way along your financial life course. Mm-hmm. And can you walk us through some of those socioeconomic and technological trends that you studied and the more of the key implications that that means for credit unions as a result to what you saw? Sure. I'll start with the socioeconomic trend. From that perspective, we were quite concerned about really three or four things. Um, one is the growth of what's called the 1099 workforce, uh, oftentimes referred to as like the gig economy. Mm-hmm. That's the uh, the share of workers who are engaged in kind of temporary, flexible, contingent contract. All of these these adjectives that differentiate work in 2019 from the way it was, say, in 1934. In fact, between 2005 and 2015, 94% of all net jobs created were these, quote-unquote, alternative work arrangements. So that's one big concern. The other was wage stagnation and wealth inequality, which are kind of long-term trends that reach back into the 1970s. And then the erosion of uh, the social safety net, a lot of cuts to public programs and to Social Security and Medicare, or at least proposed cuts that are out there. Um, And we think that those trends affect uh, what we ended up calling the two tails in our report. On the one hand, young workers and young credit union members, and on the other side of that, uh, elderly, uh, um, those who have either reached retirement age or are very close to reaching retirement age. Mm -hmm. Some numbers there, uh, almost one-third of U.S. households report monthly income variation. And again, if the share of the workforce that's engaged in this 1099 work increases, that percentage will probably go up in the future as well. Uh, 40% of U.S. households report struggling to pay their monthly bills. Uh, 44% report that they could not manage a $400 expense without borrowing. And more than half could not replace one month of income with liquid savings. So all of those indicators are kind of uh, uh, indicators of instability. And as an aside, it should probably come as no surprise, but uh, wage stagnation, income volatility, some of these more kind of unstable trends tend to impact households of color much more harshly than white households. Um, Now, on the other side, the other tail, we are an aging population here in the U.S. Uh, By 2035, uh, Americans over 65 will outnumber those under 18. And it really depends on whose data you trust and how recent those data are. But uh, suffice it to say, the average household retirement savings for working families in the United States is not good. And if you add to that the rising cost of prescription drugs and maybe proposed cuts to Medicare, the elderly are really facing some difficult financial decisions. So combine all that together, look at these two tails and these socioeconomic trends, and all of that means that credit unions are rethinking and are going to have to continue to rethink how they do underwriting, how they approach lending. There's going to be greater need for what now falls under small business lending within credit unions due to that changing nature of the workforce. Uh, And that's why many of the people we talk to, both uh, credit union CEOs and regulators, uh, acknowledged that there's probably going to need to be a change to the member business lending cap within a credit union system. So that's the socioeconomic side of things. On the tech side of things, I think that you can't say this often enough. It's all about data. 
the credit unions that are going to be most successful, and not just credit unions, financial service providers of any sort, those who are able to make the most effective use of the data that they have about their members, that are going to be most successful. Mm-hmm. The fintech explosion, as many people call it, that we've seen in the past decade, that's the um, proliferation of these very narrow, one-off, tailored financial services in things like credit, lending, savings, and so on and so forth, payments being a big one as well. Uh, There's the whole range of uh, financial services out there that aren't managed through any you know, dedicated financial service provider, and not through a credit union or a bank. There are these, you know, just independent uh, fintechs. So we really see going forward credit unions being the kind of ideal aggregator of a lot of these fintech solutions, if you will. The best credit unions are going to be the ones who can kind of vet uh, what's out there, identify the uh, the charlatans from the the real helpful services and be able to offer a more diverse suite of member experiences and financial services to their members. Another big kind of technological thing, the uh, definitions in the Federal Credit Union Act of common bond, field of membership, and especially the concept of reasonable proximity are really becoming outdated. In a mobile, cloud-based world, people are less and less tied to uh, geography and to, say, actual world locations than they used to be in the past. So it's not to say that like local communities don't matter or that uh, geography doesn't matter. It absolutely does. But uh, people move more often now. You, know, you switch employers more frequently. The technology is there to really facilitate communities that are more affinity-based, that are, say, organized around um, the use of a particular product or some sort of shared, let's say, financial burden. Um, there's this issue of capacity that a lot of credit unions will continue to struggle with. One of the reasons for that struggle is a shortage of resources that credit unions can invest in technology uh, research and development. So several QSO executives and, and even former regulators um, who we talked to told us that one of the crucial um, uh, pieces of kind of regulatory reform that we really need to concentrate on going forward is relaxing the rules on supplemental capital um, to make that investment in financial technologies possible. That's great background information. I, I do want to switch gears and talk to Samantha about what their reaction is to this report. Of course. We were chatting earlier about how excited you are about this report. Tell us what Co-op Financial Services is excited about and what you're seeing credit unions doing or maybe not doing related to all the things that Stevie just shared. Well, Stevie just unpacked a lot. There's a lot baked into all of the the socioeconomic trends, the regulatory trends, um, how credit unions are performing financially in response to those trends, and the just dynamic, crazy change that's happening within the technology space. I completely agree that credit unions and traditional financial institutions as a whole are working to maintain the relationship with their customer base and for credit unions that are members. As we look at the socioeconomic trends, it's never been more important to have credit unions. The challenge is that our traditional way of looking at financial services and the way that we deliver service has been kind of in a point solution, fragmented kind of experience. 
And we look at lending as the main driver of credit union's financial performance. But members and consumers are really looking for a holistic journey. And when they can't get it at speed and with something that's customized to them, they go to the provider that will do that. And so what we have is a proliferation of fintech organizations picking off the relationship or picking at the relationship one use case at a time. So what I'm noticing and really what I was excited about in the report is that it focuses on looking at the holistic view of what you deliver to members and how are you bringing value to them and coming to them. When you have a smartphone, basically a supercomputer that's attached to pretty much every human on the planet's hands. Um, There's more access to smartphones than there is to water. Um, When you have that, we have this abundance of opportunity um, to reach our members and to help them. The challenge is that credit union leaders are dealing with fragmented vendors, legacy infrastructure, um, nascent data capability. All of these things that we need to be focused on makes it difficult for credit unions to do it. And I think we get overwhelmed as an industry. We feel fearful. And I think we have a huge opportunity to see it as an opportunity. We can reach members more easily than ever before. We are just overwhelmed by the abundance of ways that we can do that and the type of operational shifts that it takes to make that happen, the types of data capability that we need in-house, the types of investment we need to make in technology, and the ways that we integrate each one of our individual delivery channels to reach the member is, is extremely difficult. And then most credit unions have a huge variety of vendors that, you know, some 100 plus, but they're trying to bring together and aggregate. And I think we're kind of getting the message now that lending and borrowers cannot be the whole part of our business. The way that we kind of fill the pipeline for lending is through usage and payments. And that's why payments has really become so much more of the core credit union value proposition. You're used, you you become loyal that way. So a lot of what our clients have been asking of us is to be open, create the opportunity. Co-op was founded on being an aggregator. We were an aggregator of ATMs. We're an aggregator of branches. We brought in outside organizations into our environment to create economies of scale and volume to make it possible for credit unions to compete in their environment. It's the same today. We have fintech organizations that do one particular thing. If we could be, as Stevie said, the vetters of those individual providers and create the open environment for us to integrate those use cases into our systems, have the data flow freely throughout that, giving credit unions the reporting, the analytics, a client-first UX/UI um, strategy, a way for us to make it really easy for the credit unions to ingest different types of digital engagement and um, more advanced payments, it helps to level the playing field. So over the past three years, co-op has been investing heavily in that open infrastructure, operational excellence, data strategy, and a complete digital API library uh, reporting 
AI with Cooper on the fraud side, mm-hmm. all to remove friction in the way that credit unions deliver service today and provide them with the platform business to be able to ingest whatever is new and next that members are going to need to help them be successful and choose a credit union in the digital age. So there's very specific things we've been doing near term um, to make that possible and very specific things that we're doing more long term um, to make that open system available and um, important for the credit union movement so that they can compete. And was there anything that you found surprising from this report or does it mostly align with what you've been expecting and seeing coming down the pipe? I think it's really validating. I think it's what we've been seeing in terms of payments performance. I mean, at the very, very least, what I notice when we go out and meet with credit unions and what our account teams notice is that often credit unions set their payment strategy and then don't touch it. They're not actively managing how is it growing? Who am I reaching? How are my members using it? And when we see credit unions have been doing really well over the last couple of years, but we have to be thoughtful about our overall performance, that we look at the performance of just the lending side of the business. And when you think about the intersection of all of the things that we provide and what that means to the member, it starts with payments and it starts with the way that we engage our members and bring that service to them with speed, with agility. It's understanding who your members are and how they want to use you. It's so much of it is about human first design. It's about being able to um, quickly and without friction, being able to engage with those members, because if not, they're just going to take what they're trying to get done and go somewhere else. has to be under seven seconds and three clicks. That's where banks are investing one to $3 billion a year in client experience, digitization and transformation. So I think a lot of the report, when they look at what the new model should be, is absolutely on target. I think where credit unions struggle is how do I start? Mm-hmm. Where should I take my limited resources? And should I invest in technology? Should I invest in data? Should I invest in the way my back end comes together? Should I invest in greater operational excellence? How do I integrate my vendors? I just feel super overwhelmed. And um, I think that's where QSOs are super important. We've seen a lot of change in the payment space, a lot of big mega mergers and consolidations. And QSOs have been established for the sole reason of seeing credit unions succeed. And they we aggregate credit unions together. We're about helping credit unions win by sharing. So I think this entire report when you talk about aggregation, integration, being open, it validates the cooperative spirit of credit unions. And I see this as a huge opportunity and co-op is tripling down on really that relationship banking model and activating it in a digital economy. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was a very validating viewpoint and it helped break down the continuum for how credit unions can participate in that digital economy and what makes sense for their member base and how they customize their solutions and service through a digital means, but how they customize it to their member base. And I know your big think conference is coming up really quickly here. And this report is going to be featured at that conference. 
is this kind of the main message that you're talking to credit unions about? Or what is kind of the headline that you want credit unions to walk away with after that event? The main thing that we're trying to do here is take away fear Mm -hmm. that this is doable and this is how you do it. And we break down the content of the event in three sections. The first day is all unpacking what does the new digital business model look like for credit unions? How can they be uniquely credit union and be member first, but do it in the way that members expect today because they've been taught this by Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Apple. (laughs) And they're now expecting this from every brand and every category they do business in their life. So the first day is about the business model. The second day is really about how you transform, how you have strategic agility and shift your organization to behave in a way that we haven't, as legacy companies, most of us have been established before the age of the internet. So how do you actually make that transformation and where do you prioritize your efforts? And the third day is about member experience and how you invest there and optimize near-term shifts and then create a longer game approach um, to the member viewpoint. And we're doing this all by, you know, it has to be based in research. So the Feline research study was really important. We also have a study from EY that validates this and a study from Accenture. Mm-hmm. So Celine should feel very validated because what you did in the work to really analyze what's happening in the credit union space is really what's happening overall within financial technology regulation and what the banking industry as a whole is doing. It, the question that we're now looking at is how co-op can help. How do we help credit unions behave in a more algorithmic way? How do we move from a waterfall type of service delivery to one that is an interconnected system of services that is all member first? Mm -hmm. And I think you start with really how you define what value means. Are you an access facilitator helping them, helping members discover new solutions? Do you just make it accessible? Are you a value aggregator? Can you bring additional rewards, discounts, and everyday purchases, loyalty, things like that? Um, Or you give advice. Are you in a more advisory role? Is that what's most important to your members? Or is it some mix of all of those? And how do you then have to act and behave and deliver in a different way to be the financial institution and the financial service provider that any consumer expects? Mm -hmm. So, People need credit unions. They absolutely need credit unions. Um, And we have to step up our game and see the huge opportunity in front of us to be able to be mission-driven, people-first, and just deliver in a way that members expect. Mm -hmm. To that point, I think anyone listening to this today is going to agree that people do need credit unions. I wanted to ask Stevie, Essentially, in your work on this report, you have been mapping a trend across almost 100 years with the work that credit unions do. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you imagine might be the future of the credit unions that heed the information presented in this research? And then also, what do you see happening to those credit unions that might not um, pay attention to these strategic adjustments? Uh, That's a really good question. Yeah. um, Well, a couple of things come to mind. 
I want to kind of draw attention to this quote from Roy Bergengren, who headed up the Credit Union National Extension Bureau way, way back in 1923, before the act and before uh, CUNA and before everything, before the system was really a system. In a letter that he wrote to Edward Filene, uh, he kind of expressed what he saw as the importance of the credit union movement at that time. Um, and he said, quote, it has to do with problems which are national in scope and which are crying for solution. The problem of the wage worker in the crowded city who without credit goes to the usurer. You know, I really think that there's still resonance with that. Uh, if you look at some of the rollbacks recently with respect to payday lending, which, uh, you know, this is just me speaking here, but I think of many payday lending institutions are just they are the predators. They are the usurers of old. Um, they're just now dressed up in fancy digital clothes. And the credit union really still has a role to play as a kind of bulwark against those more uh, predatory services that consumers will go to out of desperation, out of need, out of necessity, you know, uh, when sort of more stable, more uh, honest uh, financial services are not available to them. So, you know, as Sam said really, really well already, you know, people need credit unions. And I think that the role of the credit union going forward is, like I said before, being able to vet some of these technological solutions and to be a partner and to really focus on that member-centric financial service. So as I think Sam already touched upon, credit unions have already moved away from lending as the core of their business models. We think that will continue. In fact, uh, one interesting trend that popped up is that it used to be that credit unions depended almost entirely on net interest income, but that's changed. We're seeing a growth in the share of non-interest income that make up the share of credit unions' total assets from about 0.15% of total assets in 1980 to around 1.6% today. So, you know, that doesn't seem like a huge change, but over time, that trend line is pointing upward. So moving away from that debt interest margin as being at the center of the credit union business model, I think is smart moving toward being able to offer more holistic financial services. Now to do that, I think, as Sam already pointed out, there's going to have to be a move toward more openness, more open digital platforms. Now, there are some obstacles to doing that at the moment that are both technological and regulatory, but um, thinking perhaps of having open core processing platforms might be a step in the future for credit unions to really be able to take full advantage of data and the power of analytics and that algorithmic thinking that Sam talked about. Now, in the report, we lay out four types, if you will, of banking that we think will define credit unions going forward. Uh, the first is that concierge banking model that I talked about. The term concierge came from one of the CEOs who we interviewed who said, you know, I want to be your life concierge. That's how he envisioned his credit union as really being there to help you in a extremely granular, tailored way every step of the way throughout your life from, you know, from the first job that you have, the first loan you take out all the way through retirement mm -hmm. and estate planning and all of that to really be your partner. Um, the second type is automated banking. This is really taking advantage, again, of the power of the technologies that we have now to automate daily financial tasks, removing those from the thought process, which helps both the credit union and the member. If you're able to automate back office operations in a credit union more effectively and more efficiently, that frees up time and energy and resources to focus more on that member experience. 
and on some of those concierge functions. Uh, the third type is what we called ambient banking, which is perhaps a little more science fiction than reality for now, although it's quite quickly becoming reality. And what we mean by that is that in the future, we see financial services as kind of existing in the background, so to speak, as we move toward a really a purely seamless member experience that's totally channel agnostic with respect to the level of service that a member can expect from their credit union. And then finally, it all comes back to that relationship banking model that credit unions' historical strengths have been there in that kind of assurance that this is someone who's on my side, right? That the credit union is on my side. They're there to advocate for me. They're there there to help me. And that all depends upon trust between the financial service provider and the customer or between the credit union in this case and the member. All of those other things, concierge banking, automated banking, ambient banking, they all exist only because of that trust. Or another way of putting that, I guess, is that none of those things can exist without trust. And so I think maintaining and figuring out ways to demonstrate trustworthiness through digital interfaces, through mobile interfaces is going to be key to success moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I think the other question you had was what happens to credit unions that don't heed this advice? Um, Some of it, I think, is unfortunately out of the control of some credit You know, if we look at, again, trend lines, credit union membership is growing. It's actually growing at an increasing rate. The number of credit union members grew at about 2% in 2012, and it was growing at 4% last year in 2018. But at the same time, the number of credit unions in the United States continues to fall. So consolidation is a real thing, and it's not going to stop anytime soon. Now, credit unions that don't kind of adapt to the technological uh, realities of 2019 and beyond are probably going to fall into that consolidation, fortunately. Mm -hmm. So I think that embracing those four types of banking, embracing the power of data, especially, is going to be crucial to the survival of individual credit unions. And without it, unfortunately, they'll be acquired. Now, again, from an outsider perspective, I think it's going to be really important for those that aren't able to keep up for whatever reason, whether it's you know capacity issues within the credit union or whether it's just kind of a, a lack of foresight, that the places where they serve and the members that they serve don't get just kind of excised from the credit union movement. You know, my hope is that we don't end up in a situation where there's kind of like credit union deserts, if you will, uh, where there's just no access to it. I would love to see the system continue to grow, even if the number of credit unions is lessened. Mm -hmm. Again, going back to kind of the very roots of the credit union movement, uh, credit unions were really well designed to play a role in a system that involved profit sharing, involved employee benefits, involved company unions. You know, they were sort of based around that employer common bond first and foremost, and then expanded to other sorts of common bonds. But when those things disappear, as we see with changes in the workforce, how can credit unions step in and help? And I think that's going to be the, the key question going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the idea of concierge banking, I think, is a really beautiful concept. I, I think it's something we can all relate to, too, as consumers. You know, you think about a concierge at a hotel and the things that a concierge embodies are just like taking care of something for you. I, 
I have a friend that always gives me amazing vacation recommendations, and I always joke that she's my leisure concierge. And in return, I always tell her, like, look, if you're looking for a new beer to try or a beer to go with a certain meal, I will be your beer concierge. And so we kind of like trade like what we're passionate about and love to share and help others with. And so I think that that's a, a really beautiful concept. And I want to have a financial concierge to take care of all of those things that I am not an expert on. Banks have caught on to those. That's why they're coming up with those use cases, those ways that they can bring greater value. And they're baking it into the existing journey. So they're mapping the way that a member or an end consumer might engage with them. And then they're then designing the experience to make that possible. So how could, if you are using our credit card to to pick your next travel location, how could we have some sort of advisory or consulting that would make that possible? That's why you're seeing companies like Capital One have the Capital One cafes. I mean, they're looking at how to bring that kind of service and advisory and non-traditional way of delivery um, into a physical environment with a company that started out as a direct mail house for cards. So it's that kind of transformation that I think credit unions can think about when they're determining how they fit within the continuum of this new digital business model Mm -hmm. and how they really rethink what it means to be member first in the digital age. I love that idea of concierge banking too. And that really sounds like a member first, people helping people type of organization. It's human first. And I think that's why you see so many banks investing in CX and client experience and user experience and UI and data because it creates a customized experience for each individual person, mm-hmm. and it then reimagines the, the existing channels in a way that will optimize engagement, usage, and, and ongoing overall growth for the financial institution. Yeah, and along those lines, Sam, what do you want credit unions to do with this information, and how do you suggest they stay connected to ideas like these presented in the 21st Century Report? I think they have to first get a target state of where their credit union is. I would suggest mapping the way they deliver today externally to members and then mapping the way they're integrated and operating today functionally um, to be able to deliver that. If if we're going to be delivering digitally in real time, but we have old systems, old ways of doing things that are fragmented, siloed, and not integrated, it will be very difficult for us to move fast enough to create this kind of platform business and behave as a living, breathing ecosystem. So I think first, it's really getting clear on the target state. Second, it's understanding the relationship between the different parts of our business. So I serve on a credit union board and lending is the main thing we look at all the time. How do we understand the intersection of non-interest income versus interest income? How do we look at the drivers of those different types of financial performance in our credit unions and map that back to the ways that we're delivering for members? And then it helps us prioritize the way that we spend with the ways that we invest. It helps us look at, yes, we should invest in uh, master data management and reporting and analytics and know our members and have the totality of our credit union uh, be integrated in that way. We should really look at interconnected environments with our technology infrastructure that makes that possible. We should look at what our operating model is. How do our teams function together? How are they integrated? And at the very least, manage your payments. If we have, of our existing members, 
we only have 20% of those existing members um, use the credit union system as their PFI. If we could just up that <laughs> just a, a smidge, I mean, we could see tremendous growth and it starts with payments. So that's truly the center of PFI. That enables us to go outside the credit union, but we have to truly manage the payments channel and then understand the speed of delivery and how our members and the personas of those members are interacting with those tools. And I think you just start to make change, make change part of the entire culture of the credit union. Everybody is a change maker. Everybody makes a difference. Everybody's in the service part of member service. And when we start thinking that way, and we can start delivering in this consultative advisory way rather than this really transactional 20th century business model. Mm-hmm. And Filene is also going to be having an event shortly after your Think Conference related to technology and trust and how technology either fosters or or loses trust with members. And so this is a very timely and important topic, and it's being talked about across financial services. So, of course, I think any of our listeners today should check that out and attend that event. Uh, Co-op is going to be involved in that as well. So lots of opportunities to you know, start making the right kind of moves now to ensure that credit unions are sticking around for the long term. Yes. Is there anything that we didn't cover yet today that you do want our listeners to know before I let you go? I think as a credit union industry, we should be relentlessly optimistic, stubbornly optimistic, because we've never had so much abundance and information to be able to democratically reach every human on the planet if we wanted to. Mm -hmm. And so I think we should leave our fear at the door. We are a risk-averse industry, which we should be. We're dealing with money, but this is the time for us to get um, aggressive in being optimistic about the future of our system and to go after it with passion and gusto and reinvest in the credit union system. Be optimistic. We can do this. I like that. Aggressively optimistic. Just to kind of add to that, I like the emphasis on being aggressive because this kind of gets back to something that a few of our interviewees said, which was that credit unions can't just rest on the assumption that the average American understands what sets a credit union apart from other financial service providers. And I think that the credit unions have a real opportunity right now to continue those membership growth trends and to even exponentially increase the percentage at which the movement is growing year over year because there's a lot of distrust when it comes to how people interact with their financial service providers. So credit unions could, in my opinion, be a little more proactive about how they differentiate themselves and why they should be the PFI for people because that trust is baked in, or it should be baked in. Um, if it's not baked in, then you know people will walk. And I think that again, credit unions can't just kind of sit back and say like, well, you know, people understand what sets us apart. No, you know, we really need to be kind of more proactive with messaging. I think. Brilliant. Well, I want to let you guys get back to your day. So, thank you so much for joining us today for talking about 
this topic, this really important topic for sharing all of your knowledge and insights with us. I think this is going to really be helpful for the market. So thank you so much. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. All right. That's it for the fill-in, folks. Thanks again for listening. This episode of the podcast is endorsed by our research team to give Filene members and listeners an opportunity to dive deeper into our latest report exploring the credit union of the 21st century. Thank you again, Stevie and Sam, for sharing your insights. We hope everyone is enjoying hearing directly from our researchers and experts and learning the essential findings from their point of view. If you want to take it to the next level in experiencing our research, I recommend attending one of our upcoming events. Your next opportunity is about the future of trust, how technology will make it or break it for your credit union on May 29th and 30th in Seattle. This event will give your credit union an edge when you learn strategies for using data to grow member trust, not lose it. Be sure your marketing, technology, and operations leaders are there. You can also catch us in Boston on August 13th and 14th and Austin on September 26th and 27th. And for this year's Big Bright Minds, we'll be in Durham on November 19th and 20th. If you like this episode, please do rate us on Apple Podcasts so more people can find us. And make sure you're subscribed to the Filene Fill-In Podcast so you can keep up with what's going on at Filene. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. To get in touch about today's show, email me at hollyf at filene.org or find us on Twitter at Filene Research. Until next time, thanks everyone.